Psalm 6. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Heavenly Father, we pray for your grace this morning, Lord. As we look to your word, we pray, Father, that you will teach us, that you will lead us, that you will guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. There's a temptation that's very alive and well for us to evaluate our walk with Jesus with the measure of the particular joy that we're experiencing at a particular time. Uh, Let me try to put that another way. There is a temptation for us to want to evaluate how well we're doing with Jesus or how well we're doing with God uh, by measuring how much joy we're currently experiencing. Has anyone ever been tempted that way? To kind of think that way? In other words, let me say it yet another way. When we go through seasons where we're experiencing a lot of joy, uh, we, we feel that we're very close to God. Yet when we go through seasons where there's not so much joy, we don't feel so close to God. Does that sound familiar? And I think there's, um, there's an apparatus that's going on in our minds that says something like this, okay, when there's lots of joy, we're close. When there uh, isn't lots of joy, well, then we're not so close. Um, I want to show something to you that's very important for us to see. Uh, if we look at the greater context of Psalm 6, as we've been saying each step of the way, I've been trying to relate what's come before us with where we are. Uh, Psalms 1 and 2 are what? The introduction, correct? Psalms 1 and 2 are introduction. As soon as we get to Psalm 3, though, verse 1, what do we have? O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. And we have the title, the historical context of this psalm. is when David fled from Absalom, his son. Probably one of the most difficult times of his entire life. Not a time of joy, is it? It's not a time of joy. Yet, uh, the prayer ends uh, with confidence in verses 7 and 8. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. In verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. I think we can conclude from that there's a sliver of joy there, isn't there? But we no sooner get through that than we come to Psalm 4. And how Psalm 4 start? Answer me when I call you. O God of my righteousness. You know, verse 2. O man, how long shall my honor be turned to shame? Again, 
I don't think there's a lot of joy when you're being smeared, when your reputation is being smeared. That's not joyous, is it? Now, of course, the psalm ends with joy. In fact, there's a great joy, the great melody of joy in verse 7. You've put more joy in my heart than, when, than they have when their grain and wine abound. Uh, there's a high note of joy right there, isn't there? But it's not the only note that's being played, is it? In fact, it doesn't come until verse 7. And really, there's no indication that the stress has been relieved, really, in any way. The circumstances may have not changed at all. And we come to Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my what? My groaning. And I pointed out last week that uh, David here isn't even able to put his prayer into words. It seems that the stress is so great that he can't even communicate it. He can't even put it into words. And, you know, I've been saying in, in previous messages that we can pray without words. You know, we can sometimes we feel like we've got to be talking when we pray. But sometimes, you know, if words aren't coming to you, maybe it's best we just be quiet. And just bask in the Lord's presence and just enjoy him. That's a prayer. That's a great prayer of worship, isn't it? To just sit and enjoy the Lord in His presence. But here, David, he can't even, he can't even communicate his, his, his distress. He says in the second line, Give attention to the sound of my what? My cry. My cry. Every mom knows, this, that, that knows what's being communicated when her child falls down or when her child is hurt and her child is crying. If, if mom can read that line... How much more can the Holy Spirit read our prayers when all they are is moanings and cries? Amen? But all of this to say, this is not a note of joy, is it? This is serious distress and serious grief. We have at the end, uh, joy, verse 11, let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. There's a, a note of joy that comes in. And you can see where I'm going from with this exercise. That yeah, the life of the psalmist is not one all of joy, is it? So that there's a great danger. If we're going to evaluate where we are with the Lord. With the measure of joy that we're experiencing. We can be all wrong with that, can't we? This is certainly not the experience of the psalmist. In verse 6 he says, O oh Lord, rebuke me not in your anger nor discipline me in your wrath here's a serious serious situation here that David is going through and so the first point I'd really like to make notice the word discipline there in verse 1 David is he's coming to the Lord to his measure of faith he believes that he's being disciplined by the hand of God does that seem clear Discipline me and uh, uh, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Uh, the first point I'd like to make this morning is that God disciplines those He loves. We read that in Hebrews, didn't we? In fact, one of the marks of being in Christ Jesus is the discipline of God's hand. You know, it was Dick Lucas that said uh, years ago that God will have no spoiled children. Uh, in heaven 
we fail as parents sometimes to administer discipline when we should. Sometimes we fail in administering discipline when we shouldn't. Uh, we make both mistakes. Uh, but God's uh, uh, discipline is always timely and it is always perfect. And he'll have no spoiled children in heaven. I think that's a good line to go by, isn't it? God disciplines those he loves. And here we see that God's discipline sometimes can really be severe. Notice what David says here in verses 1 and 2. He says, Rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. David doesn't say, Rebuke me not, O Lord. He doesn't say, Discipline me not, O Lord. David's okay with being disciplined. He's okay with being rebuked if that's what's necessary. He's okay with it. But he says, Rebuke me not in your anger. Discipline me not in your wrath. So whatever David is experiencing, it is so severe that David is actually starting to believe that he's experiencing the very wrath of God. And he's buckling under it. And I might point to your attention just who David is. He's a mighty warrior. This is no mental midget here. Uh, He's a mighty warrior. He's feared by mighty warriors. Uh, But here he is buckling literally buckling under the discipline of the Lord. Uh, So God disciplines those who he loves, and sometimes that discipline actually can be really severe. And I want to add another thought to you, uh, another thought uh, for you that I I really have to give credit to John Calvin for, because this is where the thought comes from in his commentary on this passage. He says in that commentary that the closer you are with the Lord, the more painful is the experience of discovering that you have displeased Him. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I'm I'm paraphrasing him. Those aren't the exact words that that he wrote. I'll, I'll repeat it again. The closer you are with God, the more painful is the experience of discovering you've displeased Him. So from that, we could conclude easily that sometimes the closer you are with the Lord, the more miserable you're going to be. Does that make sense? Yes. It's like this whole notion today, you know. I mean, it's, it's expressed in, some of the, in many of the songs that are sung, the praise songs that are written. You know, don't lose track of the fact that Psalm 6 is a hymn to be sung by the church. We don't sing Psalm 6. We don't sing this stuff. Who's going to write a, who's going to write a praise song today that goes, Oh, Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in my wrath. Who's going to write that one? And if someone did write it, who's going to sing it? But the problem is we're singing all... The church at large is singing all of these songs that are all happy and all joyous and all this and all that. And people come into the assembly and think, oh, I'm supposed to be all happy and all joyous. I'm supposed to be positive and encouraging all the time. And what happens to these individuals? The sensitive thinking individuals who are sensitive of their sin, sensible of their distress, sensible of the fact that perhaps they're under God's discipline, what happens to them? They go out the door and they never come back in. But if we were doing what we were supposed to be doing and we were singing songs, if we were singing Psalm 6 once in a while, they would never come to that conclusion. They'd say, ah, finally, 
Here's someone that knows how I feel. That's why we've been given this song. Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Second point, the third point rather, that I want to bring up is really, I think it might be a point that everyone's thinking about right now. It's like, okay, when we find ourselves in this situation, what do we do? <laughs> what do we do? Well, the third point is, uh, really requires us to have a knowledge of, of God's character. Notice what David does. And before I point this out to you, be mindful that this is an individual lament. You remember in a previous message, I, I started bringing up what that means. That, that Psalms 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 are categorized as individual laments. What's that mean? That means an individual, okay? David, the psalmist, is calling on the Lord. That's the first component. An individual calls on the Lord. Second component is he lists uh, or expresses his distress, his grief, or his complaint, whatever it might be. And the third component is that he uh, designs the rest of the prayer, the rest of the hymn, in order to persuade and motivate God to action. That's an important part of an, of an individual lament. How is David uh, here trying to motivate the Lord to uh, come to action, to meet him in his time of sore grief? Notice what he does. He says in verse 2, Be gracious to me, O Lord. For I am languishing. You see that you can see the distress there in that word languishing. I'm fainting. I'm about to I'm about to faint and give way. He says, Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. The Hebrew could be translated terrified. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are terrified. My soul also is greatly troubled. Or it could be translated, My soul is also greatly terrified. Spurgeon used to say that the uh, soul trouble is the soul of all trouble. Sounds like Spurgeon, doesn't it? Soul trouble is the soul of all trouble. He says, verse 4, turn to me, deliver my life. And I, I think what David is saying here is if this continues, this is so severe that if it continues, I, I think it could, it could cost me my life. Deliver my life. Verse 5 will come to you here in a few minutes. Verse 6, I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. This has been going on for a long time. At night, he's crying, he's weeping. What is David doing? He is lifting his sore situation. In fact, more specifically, he's lifting his sore condition to God. And he's saying, look at me, Lord. I can't go on much longer. Now, why is he doing that? It's because he knows the character of God. And namely, he knows God to be compassionate. He knows that if he lifts his situation up to God who is compassionate, that God will answer him. Why? Because that's his nature. That's how God is. That's what God is like. That's why it's so important for us to study theology. That We learn this when we study theology. Theology is the study of God. We can never say, we know, don't give me theology, just give me Jesus. That's, oh my goodness, don't, don't ever even think that for a second. That won't get you out of anything. David knows his Lord. He knows God is compassionate. And his, his 
argument, his persuasion is, Lord, look at me, I can't really do this much longer. And that moves God to action. I chose Psalm 103 this morning because of verse 13 and 14, really primarily, but it's also a great call to worship. But verses 13 and 14, you know, if you want to turn there, that's fine. It's just a few pages down the road, page 502. And if you look there, we learn, we learn some theology in verse 13 and verse 14. We learn there that as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. When I was a kid, I was probably maybe five or six. This is a well over 40 years ago. <laughs> I saw a man uh, work for the telephone company. I saw him go up a telephone pole. I thought it was so cool. And the, the, some of you remember the old telephone poles that had the, they had the rungs on each side. You don't see them anymore, do you? They had rungs on each side. You know, those steel cleats that you could, you know, once you got so far up, you could just climb the pole like a ladder. And I, I, I think you know where I'm going with this. I watched this, um, this man go up that telephone pole and I thought, that's, man, that's really cool. I want to be able to, I want to be able to do that. And in our basement, we had this, this post. Uh, the house was very old and there was this post that was literally, as I recall, a locust tree is what it was. And it was cut and still had the bark and everything on it. And it was in the basement supporting the, one of the beams that was holding up the rafters of the first floor. And, and I thought, wow, there's my telephone pole, man. This is my telephone pole. And Dad and, and Pap were working, building something, and there was all these spikes laying around and hammers laying around and things laying around. Well, there's the cleats. Let's do this thing. So I started tacking on cleats to this locust post. And I made my little cleats. And once I got to where I couldn't get up much higher, then I had to go up the cleats. And now I'm trying to hold the nail and tack the cleat on. Well, I was probably only about two feet in the air, really, uh, on this contraption when the nails actually began to bend over from the weight of me. Now, if all I would have done was just jumped back, I would have just landed on the floor and there would have been nothing come of it. But what do you think I did as I started to fall? Especially with my arm all the way around the post, trying to nail a nail in. As I started to slip, I grabbed that post and then proceeded to slide down the post. Now, I'm going to tell you, I still remember what that felt like. Well, immediately... My dad was right there. And I got to feel verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now, where do fathers get that? Where does that come from? It's beautiful, isn't it? Where does it come from? You know, as I look at Chris, Chris is about to be a father. Where does that come from? It comes from God. It's where we get it. And what is David doing in Psalm 6? He knows this. And he's lifting his sore condition to God because he knows God to be compassionate. 
He knows that when God looks at him, he'll see that he's nothing but dust. He's frail. He can't continue to go much longer. And that is his chief and principal argument. And the same thing for us. When we find ourselves bearing under this discipline, what do we do? We appeal to the compassion of God. That's a strong argument, isn't it? That's a strong argument. There's another argument here in verse 5. Notice in verse 5. In fact, it's, it's confusing in verse 5. For in death there's no remembrance of you. In fact, let me back up to verse 4. He says, the psalmist says, Turn, O Lord, and deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there's no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I want to spend a couple moments on verse 5, especially because it's confusing. We can read verse 5 and we can say, wait a second, doesn't David believe in a resurrection? Doesn't David believe in life after death? Because it sounds like he doesn't, doesn't it? When you read that. For in death there's no remembrance of you and Sheol, who's going to give you praise? Sounds like he doesn't believe in life after death. Don't come to that conclusion. I'll tell you why. There's, there's many places in the Bible we could go to to make the point. Uh, you don't need to turn there, but just listen. There's a story some of you will be familiar with that comes out of... David's affair with Bathsheba. When David has this affair with Bathsheba, he impregnates Bathsheba. Uh, she comes to term and bears a son, and that son is born, and he is terribly, terribly ill. In fact, deathly ill. And David, he weeps, uh, he fasts, he falls really flat on the, on the floor uh, while the child is struggling. And he's praying, and he's trying to move God to, to heal his, his son. And he is in such a condition that his servants are actually worried about him. And then the child dies. And his servants are so concerned about David that they're like, who's going to tell him? Nobody wants to tell him. In fact, they're so concerned about him, they're like, if we tell him, he might even harm himself. That's the distress that he's in. And David hears the servants whispering, and he's very astute. He knows what's going on. And he says, the child's child's died, hasn't he? And they're like, yes, the child has passed away. And then David gets up, cleans himself up, anoints himself with oil and goes into the temple and worships God and then comes back and, and eats food. And his servants are confused. In verse 21 of 2 Samuel 12, his servants ask him, they said, what is this thing that you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. Verse 22, he said, David said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. David realized that he would see that child. He is not dismissing life after death in Psalm 6 at all. Then what is he saying in Psalm 6? What is his argument? His argument is simply this. If I die, Lord, I'm not going to be able to praise you in public. And my tormentors, which we find in verse uh, 8, you you look at verse 8, depart from me, all you workers of evil. In fact, this distress may be coming at the hands of these tormentors, who knows? David cares about the name of the Lord. He cares about the reputation of the Lord. He cares very much about the glory of the Lord. That's why he says, in Sheol, who will give you praise? 
David wants to praise the Lord. He wants to get through this thing and he wants to show he wants to show his tormentors that listen, his God is with him and has been with him through this whole thing. And his argument is if I die, I'm not going to be able to do that. That's sim- that's simply what he's saying here. That's his argument. So his argument from God his argument is from God's compassion. And his argument is also from the fact that if he, if if the Lord takes his life, he's not going to be able to uh, to praise him. But here we see David. How does David get out of this? How does David bear under this? That's the important part for us. And I think for us, when we find ourselves under God's discipline, that the argument that we should use in our prayers is an argument from God's compassion. Because it's a powerful argument, isn't it? Is that clear? I want to leave you with one last thing, and that's the blessing of God's discipline. We've looked at the fact that God disciplines those He loves. We've looked at the fact that God's discipline can sometimes seem to us to be severe, like the end is coming. And we see that we need to argue from God's character. We need to argue uh, from God's compassion when we find ourselves in this kind of condition. And the last thing I want to say is that the blessing of, you know, that God's discipline is actually a blessing. It's actually a blessing. Um, you know, discipline is necessary in order for us to grow. I think that today we have more trouble with discipline than we do, than, than our previous generations have. I, you know, we have, each one of us probably has more remedies and things in our medicine chests at home than, than um, some world countries have in their drugstores. We have the ability to alleviate uh, suffering very quickly, don't we? You got a headache, we got choices for the headache, you know. And not only do we have aspirin, we have different kinds of aspirin, you know. Your muscles ache, well, we got that covered too. You got this, well, here we got a little of that. You got a belly ache, here we got some tagamine. We got all of these things that can alleviate uh, discomfort. It's, uh, we've declared war on discomfort and we've done a pretty good job I mean by God's grace we have a lot of things I'm not, I'm, I'm not just don't anyone leave here and say well Rick said we shouldn't use aspirin don't come to that conclusion if you got a headache listen you know leave is good uh, ibuprofen is good too just watch your stomach too much of that I should let Alex finish this he's the expert in here but, but uh, I'm not saying that what I'm saying is, as we get the ability to alleviate discomfort over and over again, we also lose the ability to suffer under it. I think we're losing that. And when discipline comes our way, I mean, the author to the letter of Hebrews, you know, he says in verse 11, chapter 12, verse 11, he says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Yes, no, it does. It's hard for us to endure because we're so used to alleviating things, alleviating them quickly. And listen, we have a perfect Father in Heaven who's going to discipline us. If He's not disciplining us, if we're not experiencing discipline, that is not good. One of the marks of being a child of God, a son or a daughter of God, is that you're going to have to undergo discipline. And uh, sometimes the discipline's going to go on a lot longer than our headaches do or our belly aches or flus, or colds, or whatever else it is, allergies, all of these things. Um, and I think it should make sense to us. I mean, many of us are into exercise. You're, you're into exercise. I mean, can you, can you get stronger without discipline? I mean, what do you do when you're lifting weights? You're stressing those muscles. You're putting those muscles under tension that they're not normally under. And what is the purpose of that? To make them stronger, correct? 
you if you want to play music, if you want to pick up an instrument and play an instrument, I mean, you, you can't do that without hard work. You know, it takes hard work to do that, doesn't it? If you want to go to college or to university, I mean, that's not easy either, is it? Was nursing school easy? No. It's hard work, isn't it? And we have a teacher in our midst here. I mean, she knows very well. The students, if they're going to progress, they've got to work. I mean, there's no way around that, is there? You know... Getting a little bit stronger is easy enough. Getting a little smarter is maybe easy enough. I don't know. It's always been easy for me. But um, becoming like Christ, though, becoming like Christ, you know, in one sense, we're like Christ now, and that's happened as a result of our conversion, as a result of regeneration. We've become like Christ. But yet, because of that remnant of sin still dwelling in our hearts, we are currently really far away from being like Him, aren't we? Have you stopped to think about just how far away we are from Him? I mean, when you read the Gospels, I mean, it should arrest us and really take us to those thoughts. It's like, I wouldn't have handled this this way. I wouldn't have handled this this way. I wouldn't have handled this this way. No. We have such a gulf, actually, to, to overcome, don't we? There's going to be a lot of discipline between where we are now and where God has taken us, isn't there? A lot of discipline. But you know, the joy of it all is, is one of these days we are going to be like Him. And we should think about that often, too. And that's also what... That's also what the author to the letter of Hebrews is saying in verse 11. He says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But listen to what he says next. He says, But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's painful, but it's good. And it's not going to last forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord. We thank You, O Father, that You do discipline those whom You love. We, Father, recognize that we may go through seasons that the discipline is really its hard to bear. Father, we're reminded that You love us. You've loved us so much You've sent Jesus to, to die in our place. And that, Father, Your goal is to make us like Your Son to make us more and more like Him each and every day. So, Father, we, we thank You and we recognize that it is really under Your disciplinary hand from time to time as You see fit in Your perfection that we are transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ, that we will more and more enjoy the fruit of peacefulness as we are trained by this discipline. So, Father, we thank You for this. We thank You and praise You that You discipline those You love. And, Father... We thank you for showing such great compassion to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.